I'm James Batchelor, and you're listening to the GamesIndustry.biz podcast. I'm at Nordic Game Conference, and I'm joined by Anita Sarkeesian. Thank you very much for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. Um, I caught your talk at the end of um, the conference yesterday, and um, obviously you were talking, reflecting on uh, Tropes on the versus Women in Video Games. You, you've finished that series now, you've now started a new series, The Freak Show. And I, I found that like, it was just a really interesting talk, obviously talking about how far things have come along. Obviously there's still a long way to go, but, but that there has actually been a change in the four years since you, you've started. Um, I mean, I, how much do you kind of attribute that to tropes versus women in video games? Obviously, I, I can't imagine you would take the credit for all of it, but, <laughs> but I mean, has, has, work, has your work, like, do you think your work has kind of helped get that discussion going? Yes. Uh, <laughs> it's an awkward setup. Um, no, no, it's okay. I, I think that what happened with tropes is it was, you know, like, right time right place right like we were ready for this conversation to happen um and you know there's so many people doing this work before me after me during tropes you know there's so many of us and i think that rising conversation has really contributed to the industry being forced to pay attention to this in a way that they never were before being exposed to these ideas i mean there's plenty of folks in the industry who just had never uh, thought about this before. It just never occurred to them. And so being able to see the conversation happening, bring it into their workplace, have conversations with their coworkers is really, we're seeing the results of that right now. Yeah, definitely. It has to be said, I've, I've watched your videos and obviously, yeah, it's even got me thinking like very differently about how, how characters are depicted and so forth. And yeah, some of the, the examples you gave yesterday are, are quite laughable in terms of how they got into the games. And I, I found it interesting throughout the talk though that you you actually said like you're you're not saying that every single game needs to be fully representative. You're, you're just saying that more need to be representative. Is that a message you think kind of gets gets lost on some people? Like do you think some people misunderstand that about the work you're doing? Yeah, absolutely. I mean like there are so, so part of this work is also saying that we need a wide range of types of games, right? Not every game is going to be a 60-hour, open-world, gritty, sort of realistic, believable, whatever, uh, environment that has to, that I would say has to have better representations, right? That has to reflect the world in some way, that has to tell different people's stories, not just like angry white dudes, <laughs> right? Um, but there are games in the world that are valuable that don't have any story, that don't have any narrative, that don't have any characters in them even. And like, those are great, that's just not the work that I do, right? That's not, that's not relevant to these conversations. So I think sometimes people get confused there. Um, but also, I think that there are, you know, d different ways of telling stories, different mechanics that we can use, and really, while yes, I'm saying we need to have better representations of women and people of color and queer folks and people with disabilities and all sorts of folks, um, that sometimes we can have games that are just like weird, quirky little animals, and that's okay too, right? You know, like there's there's no part of this in which I'm saying, hey, all games have to be the same or all games have to be this message. That like the range of games is really what I think is super important as well. Yeah, as you said um, yesterday, like not all games have to be gone home. Like, no, no, yeah, no, yeah, yeah. <laughs> absolutely. Um, I, I thought it was great that the. the some, as you say, like over the last four years since Tropes started, not not purely because of Tropes, but and a lot of uh, the AAA games have started to try and address these issues. You know, Mafia Three, Watch Dogs Two, and uh, handling racism. Dishonored Two is obviously handling kind of uh, political apathy from from the public. Um, I mean, do you think obviously indie games are great at kind of 
pushing for the kind of the, the message and the representation you're, 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 you're looking for. But do you think AAA games are going to be the ones that, that push real change in these sort of games at the start of that? Yeah, I absolutely do. Um, it is part of, the, when it's one of the reasons that I focus a lot on AAA games. Like my talk yesterday was very AAA based because um, one, it, it has the bigger audience, right? Uh, while I think indie games are doing a lot and are really important, uh, they're doing a lot of the experimental work, they're doing a lot of the work that the AAA games are gonna rip off, right? Yeah. <laughs> they're gonna be like, oh, that was successful, let's see if we can put that in our games. So when you have like millions upon millions upon millions of players, you're contributing a huge amount to the cultural sphere, right? Mm -hmm. And so I think it's important that, that AAA games are a place where there's more experimentation, right? In your first-person shooter, can you include other kinds of gameplay? Does it just have to be like one little puzzle every like five hours and then just shooting a bunch of people, right? Yeah. Um, I think that part of it is really like, how do we build mechanics that, like alternative mechanics? How do we build different storytelling devices? And then how do we weave narrative into all of these different kinds of mechanics? Because we're really, AAA is really hung up right now on like violence as the ultimate means of solving problems and that not only limits the gameplay that also limits the stories that we can tell as well yeah absolutely if, if, if the story if the gameplay revolves around taking out as many moving things as possible there's, yeah. uh, there's only so only so many stories you can tell that, that set up why you're doing that. exactly yeah. and i think people want new stuff right like that's yeah. part of this larger conversation and sort of outroar, uproar that's happening to some degree is that we're like, yeah, okay, we've killed like 200 bajillion zombies and aliens and Nazis. So let's like, let's tell different stories as well, right? Yeah. I, I think it's interesting that, um, like, yesterday, obviously at the end of the talk, um, a gentleman asked a question about market demand and um, saying that, that well, the trouble is, you know, these big violence-centric um, AAA blockbusters, they're the ones that are selling their what people want. So why wouldn't publishers make mine? Certainly in a very kind of a risk-averse, hit-driven industry like games. Does it not make sense that that, that is what publishers are putting all their money into? Well, so if you used a market-based uh, logic for everything, we would never improve. We would never grow in any industry ever, right? That part of... Part of the growth of the industry is is taking those risks, and I say that sort of with air quotes, kind of laughing, because it's like, oh, it's a risk to have a woman as the protagonist in your game. Like, come on, right? Um, I think that if you make a really good game, you're going to sell that game, and if you're stuck on just marketing to this very limited sort of 18 to 35 year old male demographic. Uh, you're leaving out a huge population of people who want to play games. You know, games are not a weird niche thing. Like, a lot of folks in the industry still seem to think it is. And I think more and more uh, other folks want to come in. Women, like, you know, let's say women, but women are already playing games, and how do you get them to play even more games? How do you get them to buy consoles? And, like, what games are going to be available that are interesting and engaging to a broad range, right, of ages even. This isn't just a limitation to like a, an age group. And so I think that having a, a much broader scope and perspective and not just being like, well, 40-year-old women can play Candy Crush. Well, it's like maybe 40-year-old women would want to play your big 20-hour, you know, AAA game if it was interesting to them yeah. in some way, right? And, and the thing is, it doesn't, it's not like I'm advocating to like, make games for women and whatever that means. It's like, let's make games that are have a mass appeal, that are interesting and engaging. 
And the thing is, you know, like the reason I bring up Gone Home to some degree is one, I love the game. I think it's a brilliant game, but also that really hit a nerve. And this wasn't just, you know, with like women or, <laughs> and I say that sort of, it's hard on a podcast because I'm doing a lot of sarcastic air quotes here. Um, but it was something that really hit a nerve in the, the core of the industry, I think, in the core of like who we consider to be gamers. Uh, because it did something different. It did something interesting. And that's what I think we want from all of our media franchises and all of our media products in a lot of ways is we don't want the same, you know, like, sure, we'll enjoy the same superhero movie over and over again, but give us something else, yeah. too, right? Like, it doesn't just have to be the same thing. I think it's funny you bring up superhero movies because I was, was going to say, like, I guess the argument you're always going to face is why invest all the time in making 12 Years a Slave when the Avengers are outgrossing everything? I mean, like, that applies to video games as well. Because this isn't just about making money, right? No. And that's the thing is, is, yes, industries need to make money to survive. I think that those are not as counter to each other as, as the as, you know, as fans and industry think that it is. I think it's really important to understand that, like, you make a good game and people will buy it and people will play it, right? Like, there are lots of games that do the same boring thing that totally flop, right? There are games that do the same thing that are successful. So why can't we just have a wider range of of games here? And the thing is, you know, like, I hate the market based argument. Like, I hate that I have to sit here and be like, yes, you'll still make money and you're not yeah. going to fail, right? Blah, blah, blah. But it's, it, it really is a moral imperative, right? Like, it, it is the choice of developers to say, do you want to maintain the status quo as it is and, like, take a big look at what the status quo is right now? <laughs> and, or do you want to help improve that? Do you want to make the world a better place? And that I really believe that the media has a role in making the world better, right? The media is a tool like any other and it can reinforce oppressive stereotypes and representations or it can demand change it can portray better better worlds and, and better representations of people and humanize people in a way that i think is super is really really important it's got to be encouraging though i think it was during your talk during your talk, Square Enix revealed that Life is Strange has actually sold three million copies. Oh, so, really? Yeah, no, generally, I didn't even I, see I, that I'm yet. Pretty sure, yeah, that, that, that news came out last night. I'm pretty sure that was during your talk that happened to be announced. Wonderful. So, um, so I mean, it's kind of encouraging. It shows that the audience is, is out there and it is receptive to these new experiences, right? Yeah, absolutely. They, absolutely. I think people get, you know, if you look at the, like, the excitement over the last several years, you'll see that there's like big pockets of, of interest in, in games that are doing something a little bit different or trying different things. And yeah. um, so looking back at um, Trunks vs. Women in video games, uh, obviously the series has come to a close now. I, I mean, reflecting on the series, kind of uh, what you're kind of most proud of um, of that work, were there any particular episodes that you were afraid of? Anything you, you'd go back and change? Wow. <laughs> Sorry, I just threw three questions yeah. there once. No, that's okay. I also, uh, I've never been asked those before, so I'm like, really interested. My brain is having a little <laughs> delay. Um, yeah, but I don't know. I'm, I'm just really proud of the project in general, right? Mm -hmm. That we, you know, when I launched the Kickstarter for this series in 2012, we asked for $6,000 to make, like, five little short videos, right? And, and um, we ended up making... I can't even, I don't even know how many videos we made. We made a lot of videos. Uh, and it wasn't intentional, but I, I'm glad that we were able to go on this journey and really, you know, it wasn't just that I was talking to fans, it was that I was also talking to creators. And it wasn't just that I was talking to game creators, it was creators along a broad spectrum of, of uh, media, right? So animators and filmmakers and TV producers and, you know, all kinds of folks that really got a lot of value out of this work, being able to say, oh, 
I've always found that really weird or odd, this representation, but I've never been able to explain it. And I think that that's what Tropes does so well, is it gives people the language to understand what they're seeing. Um, so I'm, you know, I, yeah, it's, it's such a hard thing to reflect on because it's such a complicated aspect of my life, right? That my entire life changed because of this project. Um, the, one of the episodes that sticks out, uh, so the season one is these much longer, uh, much more in-depth episodes and I was getting super burnt out and I just couldn't keep going in that to that degree mm. and so in season two we did a lot like we did shorter I mean shorter there's still like 10 to 15 minutes <laughs> um, but we did these shorter episodes that were these like little bite-sized pieces and the first episode was called strategic butt coverings yes. and I just I love that one I think it's so funny and <clears throat> it's 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 funny, um, but also serious, right? It's one of yeah. those ways that you can use humor to be like, you have never noticed the way that men's butts and women's butts are portrayed differently in games. And you've never noticed that like, men's butts are always covered up with some kind of strategic covering, like a cape or tattered fabric, right? Mm. And so those are those little moments that I think the audience has an aha, right? And then you can never stop noticing it. And yeah. that's the goal, <laughs> right? I think it was, it was certainly one of your, I think, it was, I think it was one of your videos, or maybe it was just around the time that your videos started coming out. It was like, um, Capcom's Remember Me. Um, and it's obviously kind of, like kind of the over-the-shoulder camera, except like in, in Resident Evil 4, where it's a bloke, you are literally in line with the shoulders. With Remember Me, you are in line with her ass. Yeah. It's like, why? Yeah. We, <laughs> yeah. Why is a very good question. Why is a very I good question? Yes, that a lot. <laughs> and unfortunately, we can't talk about um, Trojan versus women in video games without discussing, um, obviously, the kind of backlash and then the, the, the criticism you came under fire for um, in two parts, partly for, hey, you raised loads of money in Kickstarter, why is there not more videos? Um, and partly, obviously, because a lot of people disagree with what you're saying. And I, I, did it ever get to the point where the you felt like the backlash was was diminishing the potential impact of the series of what you were trying to say? Um. Well, first of all, we made all the videos. We made all the videos. <laughs> we made so many episodes. Uh, some of the the issue was that it just took a long time, and it's like, well, it really felt like we were writing a master's thesis for every episode. Like, it's mm -hmm. going to take some time to make those. Um, oh, you, you can see the amount of research that went into every episode. Yeah, 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 absolutely. And, like, the the agonizing over every single word in those episodes to make sure that we were clear, that we were accessible, and that, you know, when you're under attack and you're under an enormous amount of scrutiny, there's a, a real pressure you feel to not get anything wrong. Um, and so it was important to us to make sure that we got all the facts right, we used the right examples, that we were able to make the argument as clear as possible, and we were able to, to provide counter-arguments up front. Because what happened was the harassment created a space in which I couldn't dialogue with the audience. Mm. It wasn't like we, you could watch a video as a viewer and then leave a comment and I'd be like, oh yeah, let me explain why uh, I this argument made this argument or whatever, we could discuss it or whatever, right? That was not available. We had to turn off all comments everywhere, and so being able to insert the counter arguments into the episodes was also was also a process of well, what are the counter arguments? Hmm. What are people going to say? We'd have to preempt that constantly. Um, what was your first question that I got derailed on? <laughs> I, I just, did it um, did it ever feel like the the backlash um, oh, right. impacted? But yeah, yeah. Um, it's yeah. I mean. It is impossible to think of tropes without the backlash. Like I can't imagine a fantasy world in which this project existed and what that looked like and what that felt like. The harassment became inter interwoven 
with the project itself. So just as I went on and on about like how hard it was to make these episodes, a lot of that was because of the harassment. Mm. So what would the episodes look like without the harassment? I don't know. Like, you know, like it would, would, we would have probably researched less. We probably would have brought up like a handful of examples that we thought were good and, you know, made to the point as like an average video would and whatever. But we were like, no, we need like 50 examples for mm -hmm. each thing, right? <laughs> like we really need to prove our point. Um, I think that, you know, the harassment opened up another conversation, right? It not only created a space for online harassment is real, it is a thing that's affecting a lot of people online and both uh, the games industry and um, social media companies need to take this seriously. And I think during that year, 2012, we saw an enormous, we saw a, a rise in big cyber mobs attacking women in the games industry. I can think of three off the top of my head that happened that year. So I think that there was this sort of critical mass building of what is going on. Mm -hmm. Like, this is not okay. So it is not unrelated that there is an enormous amount of harassment and an enormous amount of trying to push women out of the industry and out of the fandom while also having these harmful representations and these bad representations of women. Those things are not separated. Mm -hmm. But we're talking about an industry that spent decades catering to men and boys, right? Not only with the games that were being made and the characters in those games, but also with the advertising and the marketing and all of those sorts of things. And so they're not separated. They're very much interwoven. It's gonna be difficult as well, because obviously you started um, the series to, to, like you say, open a dialogue to get people discussing this. And then you find you can't even part, you know, take part in your own conversation. And, and yeah, you know, it wasn't all bad, obviously it was mostly bad, but it wasn't all bad in that you did have some people coming out to defend you, but then you have no, not that you'd want to control, but you have no way to influence how they are defending you. Like you, you were essentially having other speak, people speak for you in a conversation that you started but cannot partake. How do you even deal with that? Yeah, um, <clears throat> that's a thing <laughs> that happens. Um, <clears throat> It's hard. I mean, I'm, I'm actually struggling with how to answer that question because it's you got to understand that when you're under like when you're under that much harassment constantly day in and day out <clears throat> and it can be everything from like, I don't know if I can swear on this, but it, like it's everything from from just like sexist and racist slurs every day, comments about my appearance, just you're a con artist, like all the conspiracy theories mm -hmm. that that just mounds of them that come out of this to actual death threats and rape threats and bomb threats and all of the like the, the headline grabbing kinds of harassment you're it's trauma right and the ways that we react to trauma are not you know like you don't get to choose how you react to that right so for for me and a lot of other women it becomes a hyper vigilance it becomes a, a shutting down a not trusting people a closing off and i think that it made sense for me at the time to not respond to things right it was like yeah, it's really frustrating and I can't believe that these people are saying these things about me and oh, right? Like, I can't rage tweet about this because that would look really bad. Um, so you you have chat rooms with your friends and you rage at them <laughs> and you make fun of people. Um, and yeah, you don't get to control the narrative that the way the conversations are happening. And yeah, people, you know, don't know how I'm going to respond. But I think that my videos responded for themselves in a lot of ways. That Like what I was talking about earlier in terms of creating this really... Um, it taking so long to make sure that every word made sense was part of that. Like, you, it goes off into the world and people can have conversations around it now. 
right? Mm -hmm. That you can interpret it how you're going to interpret it and make sense of it how you're going to make sense of it. And educators are going to use it in classrooms, and that's fine. So just because conversations aren't happening on my platform, right? They're not happening on YouTube themselves. I'm not stopping them from happening everywhere else on the mm -hmm. internet, right? So it, yeah, you know, there is a frustration because you're, you know, you want to be like, no, that's not what I meant. You've got it all wrong. <laughs> uh, but at the same time, I really do believe in the work and trust the work that we mm -hmm. did. So looking forward, I mean, uh, as you say, like there were there was lots more examples in your talk of how particularly AAA games are trying trying to, to address these more serious issues and and better represent um, women, people of color, other marginalized groups. And um, are you more, you know, four years on from starting this project, are you now more optimistic as a five, sorry, five, <laughs> years, right, five years from um, from starting on the project? Like, are you more optimistic about how? where video games are going and whether they will start to represent you know equal equality yeah i mean you can't do this work and not be hopeful right <laughs> like that's just one of that's one of those things of like why would you if you didn't have hope you wouldn't do anything mm. um i it, it's this weird place where you know this talk um that i gave here at nordic games is you know, so Tropes was winding down and I wasn't going to do a talk that just outlines the Tropes videos that I made, right, which is what I used to do. And so it was really like, where are we at? And this talk was very much a response of like conversations in my office of like, it's better, right? Like we, we would sit around and be like, this is good, right? But why is it still not good, right? Like, hmm. what is that feeling and that like, like tingly sense that we have where we're like, good, but, right? And, and this was really working out how where we're going and what that means and and all of that. So, you know, so we have, you know, 2016 and 2017 so far have had some really interesting games come out, some really interesting representations. And so the question is, well, is it gonna, or does that mean that like we've hit our max for, you know, we filled up the meter and so we're not gonna have anything, any good representations for another 10 years or something like that? I don't know, we're, we'll have to wait and see. Um, but the idea is like what's the next step right like if if folks are starting to understand that we need to have more visible representations of folks who are not straight cis white dudes um what's the next step right and the next step is really integrating narrative really not just replacing like a white dude with you know a person of color or a trans person or what have you like that's great and important and we need to do that what else yeah. Right, and that's that's the part that I'd like to move into is the what else, and the problem is the what else is a lot harder, yes. you know, and I yeah. think that that's going to be a little bit more of a struggle, in terms of of getting uh, developers and creators to understand that, and also, it's a hard thing. Like this idea of marrying mechanics and narrative is not something that, like I just came up with. Like people have been trying to work on this for a long time, and how do we do that? And I think that that's like that's the next interesting. Uh, step in this process. Obviously, with your work and just you know, including the name tropes versus women in video games, you, you primarily look at the the representation of, of women. Um, but you, you obviously in your talk and in all your work, you touch on people in color and, and other you know, other you know, race, class, gender, sexuality, etc. Is it that the, the the fight for women or the fight for any one of these to be better represented? Does that help drive the discussion for the others? Does it help advance the others, or is it a case of kind of one advances, but then representing to the other slide back a bit. Right. Actually, this is a really important question. Um, so one thing is that our work is always intersectional, and so when when we say women, 
we are talking about all women, which means women of color, means trans women, means women with disabilities, means um, working class women, right? Um, when a lot of the industry hears women, they hear white women. Yes. And, and part of it is that our episodes very much talk about white women because that's the majority of women in games, right? Like in every single episode, we would have to say, okay, this episode is just full of white women because there aren't any women of color and there aren't any trans women and there aren't any queer women in this space. Um, so that's, this is the thing that I think I'm hitting a, a little bit of a, like I'm re reflecting on the way this conversation happened because I get the sense that a lot of times we say women, the industry hears white women and they're like, we got some white women. And I'm like, okay, so this is not an additive issue. It's not like you solve the woman problem and then you solve the people of color problem and then you solve the like lesbian or queer representation problem, right? It's, it has to happen simultaneously because then we'll be doing this for like a hundred years just to get, and like then it creates this weird hierarchies of oppression and all this stuff, right? So intersectional feminism is so key to this process and so key to the work that we're doing because we really are talking about lifting up everybody, like the voices of everyone who is being um, silenced or quieted or not represented or rendered invisible. Then looking forward, like given the, the steps we've we've seen that have been taken, and, and that's crucial. Like that the steps have been taken, improvements have been made. Um, do you think that the rate of improvement we're at means that we could see these solved things largely solved, perhaps not fully solved, but largely solved in the short term, or are you facing decades of more extremely researched videos? Oh God, um, I, yeah. I mean, I think it's it's really surprising to see how fast things change, right? Like. In the grand scheme of things, five years is really short, and especially when games take years to make, too, mm. that we're actually seeing, you know, like, from when Trope started to today, we're actually seeing real substantive changes in representations, right? Mm. That's, a, like, when you look at how social change happens, like, that's a very small window. And so I do think things advance and change a lot faster today than, than they were decades ago. And, you know, the internet, like, I hate to yes. be that person, but, like, the internet really facilitated that. And now, you know, we can talk about all the problems that it also facilitates, um, <laughs> you know, but in, in terms of that speed, but I do, I think it's both, right? I think that this is an, an ongoing struggle and that we have to remember that this isn't the end. I think we celebrate our wins and we say, yes, things are improving, let's continue, let's keep fighting, let's keep criticizing, let's keep doing this work so that we, the, the industry and media in general and the world in general can improve, right? Last kind of question then, um, you've obviously just started your new series, The Freak Show, mm -hmm. and you've expanded beyond games to take in um, movies and all other, you know, TV and all other forms of media, because as you say, it's, it's not just games, it's, it's media representation of, of women, gender, class, race, all these other, these other issues. Um, I mean, how much of a, a role is games gonna play? Because obviously that's kind of your background, that's, that's what you know particularly well. Like, um, yeah, how much, how much um, are you still going to be focusing on the games industry? Yeah, well, so it's funny. Uh, I was running Feminist Frequency for a long time before Trope, so we were always about pop culture. Mm. So it's actually, it's kind of making me laugh that you said that because I get criticized, like, people will be like, oh, well, you didn't do anything about games before. And I was like, yes, I did. And then, like, now you're like, oh, you didn't do anything about that before, yeah, which yeah. is what you're saying, but it's just funny yeah. in my head because I'm like, <laughs> oh, that's a, that's a nice switch. I mean, um, you've, kind of, you've specialized in games for the last few years. That's absolutely. I mean. yeah. We haven't had time to do anything else, right? Um, so yeah, the, the Freak Show is really answering the question of what do media representations 
have to do with the current political climate. Hmm. And so it's not just media anymore, it's also politics, like overtly politics, right? Hmm. Not just what we were doing. And so, you know, we, <clears throat> my staff and I woke up the day after the election and just had a total freak out, as I many other imagine. people did. Uh, There's a lot of crying. Uh, and it was like, well, what do we do, right? Because our work is important and we know that, but it's also the long game, right? We're saying when, like, if the media can change, we can improve the world in that way, but that takes a while, right? Like, yeah. that takes a minute. Um, and it's, it's really hard to feel like we're just going to sit back and play the long game or whatever when, like, shit's burning. Yes. Right, and so we were, you know, reflecting on what we do well. We make, we make, you know, interesting videos, and we are educational, and we reach beyond the choir, and we can tell a history in a way that that some kind of hot takes on um, online don't. Right, mm -hmm. um, and so we can contribute that into an environment of activists doing really great, amazing work. So um, that that's kind of how the freak show started. And it feels very much like a natural progression and evolution of the work that we're doing anyways. It's not out of the blue in any way for, for us. Um, and games will play a role in that, as all pop culture will. And this is not the only thing that we're working on. <laughs> I just can't talk about the other projects right now, but we're very much still involved in the game space and we'll be releasing more specifically games-related and thank you so much for your time today. Um, yeah. Enjoy the rest of the conference and, uh, and honestly, keep up the good work. Thank you so much.